Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Priscillo, as always, joined by Joe Rosanello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. We always ask you to download the app, the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app, so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And hey, if you like what Joe and I do, you can find us primarily on YouTube at The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Um, and also, we're building up our Twitter account now that uh, we hope that it's going to be a more open platform. So on Twitter, you could follow us at at with Joe and Joe at with Joe and Joe. Uh, so we really appreciate all your support. So today, um, we're very pleased and honored even though it's a sad occasion, but pleased and honored, as always, to be joining back, uh, welcoming back a friend of the program, Teresa Tamio. And we want to discuss Pope Benedict XVI and the passing of Pope Benedict, Benedict XVI. You know, sometimes people don't realize when they're living, you know, through a major historical event. And uh, and this is one, the the passing of of a, 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 a dominant a giant Catholic uh, of the of the 20th century. Um, so uh, this is going to be a really good conversation to talk about uh, Pope Benedict. Uh, everybody out there knows Teresa Tamio. Having said that, she is a best-selling author, syndicated Catholic talk show host, international speaker. She has her weekday radio program, Catholic Connection, uh, a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN, the Global Catholic Radio Network. It's heard in over five hundred stations worldwide and Sirius XM satellite radio. Uh, her TV show, the Catholic view for women is seen twice weekly on EWTN. And she also leads various retreats and pilgrimages each year to destinations around the world, including Italy and the Holy land. Teresa Tamio, welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Hey guys, happy new year. Buon anno. Happy new year. Buon anno. Yeah. Happy new year. Exactly. So yeah. Uh, well, this is, you know, this, a lot of people are talking about the passing of Pope Benedict the 16th. Um, so uh, we want to talk about it and we're happy that you're, you're on here, Teresa. So with that, let me hand it over to Joe real quick. We'll just say a prayer real quick and we'll jump right in name of the father, son, Holy spirit. Amen. Remember O most gracious Virgin Mary never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided inspired by this confidence. We fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother to you. We come for you. We stand sinful and sorrowful. A mother, the word incarnate despite not a petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. Name of the amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Teresa, as Joe said, I mean, Benedict XVI was larger than life uh, in many ways. He wrote 66 books. He wrote three encyclicals as a pope. There's definitely a lot of conversation about him being the most prolific theologian of the 20th and 21st century. I would agree with that. Um, a lot of people, too, aren't talking about just how humble the man was because he was and he was gentle um what's in your view his impact on the church oh my goodness well i would i would just echo everything you just said and thanks again for having me on it just a huge huge theologian an incredible mind and i think one of the signs of his 
humility and intelligence. And this was brought out in an interview I did on my show earlier this week with another theologian, Dr. Thomas Williams, who's based in Rome, is even the fact that he was so intelligent and so knowledgeable and had such a clear understanding of Jesus and the dignity of the human person and the incarnation and all of that, he never would talk in a way where he was talking above people. He would always speak in a way where people could understand. So he didn't have to use all the flowery language, which he certainly could. He didn't have to use all the big theological definitions or speak in Latin or another language. Uh, he spoke in the language. Obviously, if he's if he's speaking as Pope, he's speaking uh, in Italian at the audiences and his other messages. But the language was a language that people could understand because he knew the importance of spreading the gospel. And then and another huge sign of humility was the fact that he stepped down from the papacy in terms of realizing I'm not capable physically of doing this anymore. And so I have to put the church first. And so therefore I have to step down. So, so humble, but so huge at the same time. But, but I think the fact that, that he was so humble, you know, Jesus always says the last will be the first will be last and the last will be first, but just incredible. And I, I have to say, I, I loved reading him and I still love reading him. And I could tell Whenever there was a reflection, whether it be in the Word Among Us or the Magnificat or another Catholic devotional, without even seeing who wrote it, I, I, I could hear his voice. It was that clear to me and still is. Teresa Tomio is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing the passing of Benedict, Pope Benedict XVI. When I was young and stupid, Teresa, back in the 90s and was not really practicing the faith and away from the church, um, I didn't even know who Joseph Ratzinger was. Um, sadly, okay, maybe if I read him more when I was younger, I might not have strayed from the faith for the while that I did. Um, talk about, you know, educate people, Teresa. He was around for a long time. Um, now, people, you know, talk about Vatican II and everything else and whichever side of that argument you want to be on. He was a major player. Uh, he was a major contributor to Vatican II. Uh, talk about that. Like, like people don't realize yeah, just how long. He was a major player in Vatican II, one of the youngest clerics to be involved in Vatican II. And he was, he really believed in opening up the church in terms of, you know, going a, a different way forward. And, and some people back then, I hate to use this term, but, but considered him a progressive because he was supporting. I've uh, heard Vatican that. Interesting. And, and what the idea was behind it. And yet at the same time, he understood that that didn't mean going away from the truths of the faith. It wasn't the spirit of Vatican II. It was actually Vatican II and what that meant. But even before that, when he was in Germany and he was writing, and when he became a, a cardinal, and then he became he was a bishop and then a cardinal, he was first noticed by John Paul II. And I had a professor on my show this week, uh, Dr. Robert Fastigi from Sacred Heart Major Seminary, who said his writing on Jesus uh, of Nazareth and Jesus in terms of Christianity, the introduction to Christianity, got the attention of John Paul II. And John Paul II started reading him, and that led to their relationship, which then would bring him into the pontificate of JP2, where he served, as you mentioned, for many years as a head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. So he was around during Vatican II. He was really well-known in Germany for his great writing and his great theology. And then, of course, coming to back to Rome to work under the pontificate of John Paul II, he has been at the helm of the church and very involved in shaping the church in both the 20th and 21st centuries. And, and Francis has acknowledged that on numerous occasions. Joe Racinello. How, in your view, I mean, you, you're in the media, how did he handle the media? I mean, you know, popes of old didn't really have <clears throat> the scrutiny that popes today do. I mean, now you have press conferences on planes, you're tweeting, there's Facebook. Um, 
How did he handle that, to be honest with you? Because he was a quiet man. Like, I, I, I always think of him when he, when he came out on the balcony. He almost didn't look comfortable in his own skin. I'll be completely truthful with you. Like, John Paul did. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm not comparing them. They're different humans, and they both brought different gifts. But, you know, how do you think he handled the media? Because that's a tough job. Do you know, I mean, it's a global audience and it's a very tough thing to do. Well, I, I think he was he was brilliant on a number of levels. So first of all, it's it's hard to and that word handle, I think, is 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 a very good uh, way to describe it, because the media now are, I mean, much worse than they were back then when he when he took over uh, the pontificate in 2005, uh, replacing John Paul II after his death. But at the same time, you, you do really have to be media savvy. And that doesn't mean twisting the truth, not being honest. It means understanding how the media operate. But I think uh, because he had some very, very good people around him, I think he did a very good job. And you remember, he was very open to the importance of the media. I mean, he's involved in Vatican II. Vatican II gave us all kinds of great documents. And among my favorites are Intermorifica, which deal directly with the media. But then he was also the Pope who launched the first papal tweet. So he was there understanding the importance of not just the media, but social media. And he also did that sit down, that famous sit down interview with Peter Sievald, uh, you know, about two years before before he stepped down as pope and, you know, obviously went into more seclusion. But I think he was very open and I think he made himself. Now, he was also misunderstood because the media liked to come up with their slogans. They like to come up with their agendas. And they would call him, you know, God's Rottweiler, where Catholics who love our Pope, we would call him a German shepherd. So there's that difference, right? And the other thing about the media, too, is that he understood that not just the media, but the culture, the world, still to this day, and you could see this in the coverage of his death just this past week, and a couple of the networks, the way they handled the story, so typical and so narrow-minded, where they were saying that, oh, he was against female priests, and he was against contraception, he was against um, homosexuals, and all these things that they assume... But the, what they don't understand is this is the church. The papacy is not, a, as he said, a theological project. You don't come in as pope and say, hmm, I'm not crazy about this teaching, or Europe doesn't like this, North America doesn't like this, so we're going to change it. And so they put out this image that he was very, very strict and, and, you know, and very set in his ways. And yet at the same time, there's no context. If you look at what Pope Francis has said about abortion, Pope Francis has said, Pope ab uh, abortion is like hiring a hitman. He keeps saying that. He said it numerous times. That's pretty strong language, pro-life and anti-abortion language. Pope Francis, in the last three months, has spoken out against female priests, saying it's not going to happen. And the other thing, too, that the media don't understand is that this is rather sexist to say that the only way women can be equal in the church is if they're a priest. To me, that's very, very sexist as someone who considers herself a new feminist. And so the media are going to always have their agendas and their angles, but they don't want to understand the papacy of what it represents. They want it to be a papacy of, you know, that old co comedic skit that Flip Wilson used to do, the church of what's happening now, that it could change, you know, on a whim, depending on where the culture goes. And so in terms of him being available to the media, I think he was available. And I think his World Communications Day statements, in a more direct answer to your question, Look at those statements that he put out, eight statements, as they come out every year. They, they're released in January. The World Communications Day is celebrated in, in May, but it's released on the feast of St. Francis de Sales, who's a patron of journalists. And his statements proclaim what he believed with the media. I've got the list right here. Let me read you a few of the titles. And this is the last communication statement he gave in 2013, the year that he stepped down from the papacy. 
Social Networks, Portals of Truth and Faith, New Spaces for Evangelization. In 2012, Silence and Word, Path of Evangelization. The 45th World Communications Day Statement in 2011, Truth Proclamation and the Authenticity of Life in the Digital Age. In 2010, he wrote a world communications statement specifically for priests so priests could learn more about the media, the priests and pastoral ministry in a digital world, new media at the service of the word. So for me as a media expert and as a Catholic woman who's a communicator, I think he grasped the importance of the media and I think he he used it well and wisely. Teresa Tamio is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosinello. We're discussing uh, Benedict XVI, who recently passed. Remember, Teresa has the Catholic View for Women, seen twice weekly on EWTN, Catholic Connection um, on the Global Catholic Radio Network. So heard in over 500 stations. So, you know, it's very... We're always honored when Teresa comes on the show. Teresa, let me ask you this: we're, we're, You know us. We're, we're not. We, we're not troublemakers. I mean, we are to a degree because we're Italian. But <laughs> uh, but here's what I I've seen, and I love your comments on it. I don't need people in the church, really, at this at this time. Okay, I don't need them piling on Pope Benedict with the media. See, we expect this from the media because the media is secular. Anything that anything that they could do, in, in our view, to attack Catholic teaching, Catholic doctrine, Catholic dogma, they're going to jump on. There are some in the church that are taking this opportunity, to, it seems to me anyway, to, to pile on with them and, and, and to feed into this narrative and try to turn this, this man who, by all accounts, anybody who's met him said this is a man who they felt like they were in the presence of somebody who is very holy and very humble right. and very loving, okay? And if, as a Catholic... And he has a clergy member, okay, to pile on with the secular media. I, I'm so mad at that, and I don't want to be angry at this time, okay? Um, I want to celebrate, you know, Pope Benedict XVI and, and his impact on the church, okay? But uh, but then you got to get all these distractions on Twitter and out there at the, you know, and all the social media. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I say, you know, you're doing what, what you should be doing in terms of responding. You are celebrating by doing the entire show dedicated to him, and that's how you counter that. You don't counter that with with going up against those people and arguing with them because they're they're at a certain place in their faith and we pray for them. But I don't think that's going to get you anywhere. I think what we continue to do is we talk about, as we are right now, the incredible contributions this man has made. And for you know, for as long as the Lord allows his planet to be in existence, let's say it's another, you know, several thousand years, God willing, for future generations, people will be looking at his documents and what he's given us. I don't care what anybody says. And so how do you respond to that? You respond with love. That's what Benedict would have done. And you pray for them and you say, you know what? Uh, and then you ask them, if you do engage in a conversation, not an argument, I would say, okay, well, what, what makes you think that way? What in the catechism is, is he not following? Or what about church teaching? Don't you agree? You know, I think we have to enter into a discussion, but we have to ask people questions because a, a lot of people we have to understand are not properly catechized. And you guys, we've talked about this a number of times. And so they're coming at it from, even if they're they're in the church, they're coming at it from a, a perspective of the world. They're Catholics, but they're they're in the world and not, you know, in the church basically in terms of their belief system. So it really depends on where they're are, where they're at in their own journey. And, and we don't know that unless we have a personal conversation. But the way I respond is putting the good news out there. For example, let me just give you an example of this. So there's a guy that that posts comments every once in a while on my Facebook page, but he's listening. He must be listening. And he always says, you should stop calling 
bishops, bishops, and your eminence and your excellency, because it's, it's, it's off-putting to non-Catholics. You have to just call them by their first name. And I wrote him back today and I said, okay, I said, here's an idea. I said, how about you think about understanding or learning more about why we respect clergy enough to use their titles? I said, I'd be happy to enter into dialogue with you. I said, but it's not about the Catholic world, the Catholic church acquiescing to an individual or to a culture, because the Catholic church represents the fullness of faith. We're imposing, we're not, we're proposing, we're not imposing. If you don't want to believe it, that's up to you. It's free will. We'd love for all people to join the church because we exist to evangelize. She exists to evangelize. But I'm not going to sit there and pressure you to do so. I'll share it with you, and I'll share it with you lovingly. But this is about the second or third time he's made that comment, and he's hung up on titles. He thinks it's distracting, or maybe he's a fallen away Catholic. I don't know. There's something there. But I said, you know what? How about looking at why the church teaches what she teaches as opposed to complaining about it? And I think that's how we counter that narrative. And I think if we really share what he has taught, especially when it comes to these issues about women and life, there's a document that I've been quoting all week long. It's a letter to bishops of the Catholic Church on the collaboration of men and women. It was written by Ratzinger when he was in the Congregation of the Doctor of the Faith, and it is eye-opening. And listen to this, guys. We know that on Friday, the day before Benedict died, Barbara Walters died, right? So I, I wasn't a fan of hers in, in the end because I really thought she she went way off kilter and got very woke. But I, I did admire her for what she did for broadcasting for women. She really did pave the way and was a groundbreaker in many ways. There was a special on her over the weekend, and she was talking about, in the videos that they had, how much she lamented the struggle she had as a mom, as a working mom. And the next day, Benedict passes, and I'm reading this letter again of the collaboration of men and women. And in this letter, he's talking about that very fact, how women have this struggle where they're chastised if they stay home and they're chastised if they go to work and they have kids. He says, this is, I'm paraphrasing, but this has got to stop. And he's talking about this when he is in the congregation of the doctor of the faith. Now, you look at that. In light of Barbara Walters, this shows the evergreen of teaching and his wisdom and knowledge on the dignity of the human person, especially the role of women in the home and in the church and in society. But then you look at the documents that John Paul II wrote, including the papal letter to women, including Mulieris Dignitatum on the dignity and vocation of women, very similar to what Benedict was saying or Ratzinger was saying in the letter to the bishops on the collaboration of men and women. So you have this, this consistent teaching about the beauty of the human person. And so my idea is to put that out there because I guarantee that those same people, Joe, that are complaining have no idea that uh, Francis and also John Paul II, and especially Ratzinger, then Pope Benedict, said this about women and understood that more needed to be done to support women both at home and in the workplace. It's so funny I you bring- respond with love. No, I, it's funny you bring up those letters because I've read them as well. Um, people- choose not to read them and look only from you know the beginning of time to 1957 and they refuse to acknowledge the fact that john paul ii and benedict said the same thing which you just echoed right about the role of women it's documented they choose not to look at it just like many people within the church choose not to look at the catechism that was drafted by john paul in right. 1992. I was going to say, Teresa mentioned the catechism. The immediate thing that came to my, my mind was, okay, which which catechism do they like? But it's the all in context. And this is something that you taught, written. though, Joe, at Vatican II. It's all in continuity. 
No, right. no, no, I know. John yeah. Benedict said this again. People look at things through their own lens, and that's the mistake. That is the mistake. They have an idea of what each pope is all about based upon many times how the media puts it out. Frankly, somehow, sometimes based upon Catholic media. Joe, let me ask Teresa a question. Teresa, I love your comments on this. This is my view. I think Joe would agree with me on this. It, it strikes us that, let's say, uh, Cardinal Ratzinger slash Pope Benedict XVI just could not win. That that whether it's the 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 liberals in the church, whether it's the trads in the church, everybody's got a beef with Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict. Like like something he wrote, he's either too liberal or he's either too conservative. Am I? characterizing that wrong because to me it's to me both sides unfortunately unfortunately there do seem to be sides in the church both sides treat him pretty unfairly what no, am i, I wrong don't agree that? with that i don't I, I disagree with you there i i think there are there are naysayers always especially with people who have this idea of the spirit of vatican ii but for the most part i, I think he's he's really revered in the church in, in terms of the understanding of the intellect that he had and, and the gifts that he's given us as a theologian. So I, I think the uh, the disconnect, the, the people in the church who, who claim that they're, quote unquote, and, and of course, God only knows what's on their hearts, but claim that their their Catholicism is, is the only Catholicism where they're trying to push things like so-called same-sex marriage or pro-choice mentality or whatever uh, agenda they're trying to push. Those people have been with us and we pray for them and we continue to reach out to them. But overall, I mean, this man has so much respect in terms of just his level of knowledge and, and the body of material he's given us and the work he did in Vatican II as such a young cleric. So I think the good outweighs the bad. And I'm, I've been looking at a lot of the commentary. And for the most part, I think within the Catholic Church and the Catholic media, it's been very good. There have been some stories... NBC did a hit job, no surprise there, and a few of the yeah. networks. But I found, I was interviewed locally, and I found they were very fair. And it's a big ABC affiliate in town where I used to work. And I think they did a very fair job. And I've, I've looked at some of the coverage in there. They're going back to what they're not being fair with is, is all of the changes he made. He was the one who really, really became very serious. And Cardinal Dolan addressed this earlier this week. Um, actually got super, super serious and took to task this whole situation of clerical abuse. He looked at canon law. Uh, he was the one, the first Pope to meet with sexual abuse victims. And I interviewed one of those victims who actually met with him when he came to the United States back in 2008. So there's always going to be those naysayers, but I think for the most part in the church, there's just a great deal of support for what he accomplished in his lifetime and the dedication he had to the truth and the love of God. Well, thank, thank you, Teresa, for clearing that up for me. Because, again, that was my impression, and that's why I asked you the question, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, it did seem that way. But I'm glad to hear, because I don't spend, you know, a lot of time listening to what people are saying, uh, you know, especially, like, in the moment, like now. Um, so it's it was just the impression I had. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate your, your clarifying that for me. So we have a few minutes left, not a, a terribly long time. Joe Resinello, what would you like to ask Teresa Tamio? Point blank. Do you think he'll be canonized and become a future doctor of the church? I do. I think he will be canonized in our lifetime. And I also think he will be declared a doctor of the church. What do you think? I, I think, you know, I, I don't have a crystal ball. We don't believe in crystal balls <laughs> or wearing turbans or anything. But I asked I asked Dr. Robert Fastigi 
who is a wonderful theologian based here in the Archdiocese of Detroit and who was a, a professor at Sacred Heart Major Seminary. And he believes, yeah, we all, I think we both believe he's going to be definitely a, a doctor of the church. The, the, the uh, sainthood is such a long process. Um, I don't know. It could be. I think certainly if anybody, not that they're asking me for my opinion, but certainly in terms of what he's given to the church, um, I, he, he's a saint in my book. Of course, he's a, you know, he's a saint. We're all saints uh, when we get to heaven, God willing. But a doctor of the church definitely based on the body of teaching that he's left off. That's just my personal opinion. Again, it, it's not up to us, but but I would agree with you. It's amazing. I mean, having written so much, you know, we'll see what happens, like you said. Uh, so just to switch gears for a second, Teresa Tamio, um, what do you have going on uh, you yourself as far as um, anything our audience should know about that you're doing, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, your, your traveling around the world on the, uh, the pilgrimages? Yes, I'm so glad you asked me. Thank you so much. So let's see, where where are we? I'm going, heading down to um, Florida for the Good News Cruise, me and Deacon Dominic, and then we have to leave in the middle of the cruise, <laughs> get off the boat, and we're flying to Washington for the March for Life, because I'm doing the March for Life coverage again for EWTN, so excited. And then we leave for Italy right after that. We're going to Italy to actually look at a couple of properties we're going to be visiting for our next pilgrimages coming up in the fall. We like to go in January when it's quiet, so we don't have to disturb any any tourists that we're going to be going to meeting with some people behind the scenes about some events that we're going to have in the fall. And we have two new trips in the fall. We have the Women in the New Evangelization Wine and Trine trip coming up in October. That's for women. And then we have our second annual La Dolce Fide, the Sweetness of Faith pilgrimage with me and Deacon Dom in November, which sold out last year. It was a huge hit. And we're now open for registration for both those trips. And they're on my website at teresatamio.com slash events. In between, speaking all over the place, speaking in Florida, speaking in California. Um, I don't know. It's Tuesday. I must be somewhere. So I have to <laughs> figure out where I am. But, yeah, very busy. Thanks be to God. Yes, thanks be to God. And, and I know I'm speaking for Joe. We're going to have to run because we're coming up to the uh, to the end of the segment. But I will say this, Teresa Tamio. Uh, we personally want to thank you because unfortunately there's a negative view i don't need to tell you this and most people know this there's a negative view of the church of uh, uh as 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 far as the teachings of the church as they uh pertain to women and there's so many misconceptions out there and i know that i'm grateful and i know joe's grateful that there are strong catholic women out there that are a counterbalance um to to a lot of the lies that particularly the 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 new feminists third wave feminists whatever they are fourth wave feminists whatever wave feminists out there that are trying you know that 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 certainly hate the church and they hate the church's teachings and it's so wonderful to see you out there in the breach um letting young women know in particular no 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 the church supports you as a woman so from joe and i we want to thank you for doing that well, you're welcome. And and I would say, too, if you guys could do me a favor and have me on again, if you wouldn't mind, if you could squeeze me in uh, coming out in April, speaking of strong women in the Catholic Church, you guys will love this. I'll send you the cover. I have another book coming out in April, and it's from Sophia Press, and it's called Everything's Coming Up Rosie, 10 Things My Feisty Italian Mother Taught Me About Living a Godly Life. So love much it. of the way I speak is because of my mother's strength. And, and you know, it's funny, we used to butt heads so much. But I look back now and the things she used to say really sunk in and are so, so basic and so reflective of church teaching. But the book is really funny. And you guys, 
being Italian from the East Coast, you will totally appreciate it. No, no, no. We're, we, it's already it's already on the calendar. We're already looking forward to it. Okay, <laughs> Teresa, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Uh, this historic event, Pope Benedict passing. So we thank you so much for your comments. Really appreciate it, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Okay, we have to end with the Benedict cheer. Benedetto. <laughs> Love it. Benedetto. I saw him in New York City, and that was going wild. Yep. I remember. Thanks, guys. Be All right, well. Teresa, we'll talk Ciao. soon. God bless you. Ciao. God bless. Bye-bye. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's really great to have Teresa's input on Pope Benedict XVI. Again, we could probably probably have could have gone on for, you know, who knows how long talking about that, uh, Joe Restinello. Now, for everybody out there listening to us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, we're discussing the passing of Pope Benedict XVI. So we just uh, got done having a great conversation with Teresa Tamio. Stick around. Uh, on the other side of the break, uh, we're going to be having a conversation with Father Gerald Murray of the Archdiocese in New York here at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. So don't go anywhere. It's going to be a great conversation. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in. And let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Facillo and Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Now, for those of you who are just joining us, our first segment today, uh, which you, we, you will be able to find after it uh, airs on the app, the Veritas Catholic Na Ra Radio Network mobile app, was with Teresa Tamio. We're talking about uh, Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, he obviously uh, just passed away, and we're talking about his life. So now for this segment, we're pleased and honored to be bringing on to the show Father Gerald Murray. Uh, everybody out there uh, listening to us knows Father Gerald Murray. Having said that, for those of you who are living under a rock and don't know Father Murray, uh, he was born in Brooklyn, in New York, uh, Brooklyn, New York, attended Regis High School, Dartmouth College. Fathers appeared all over the place as a commentator on religious topics, obviously, in particular on various television and radio outlets, including EWTN. EWTN Spanish, Fox News, Fox Business, MSNBC, New York One Radio Maria, Fox News Radio, and The Voice of America, and today, The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Welcome back, Father Murray, to The Frontline. Well, thank you, Joe, and I'm very happy to be with you guys. Uh, even though we're talking about a sad loss, nonetheless, uh, the loss of a great man, I'm glad we can discuss his life. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Joe, I'm going to hand it over to you. Father, I've been reading all the commentary, people saying things all over the place. Uh greatest theologian 20th 21st century um do you think he is the most prolific scholar in our lifetime also maybe address the greatest theologian of the 20th and 21st century that's quite quite a statement to make i've read that um i'm interested in your take i think he would definitely be among the top five theologians uh in the 20th century going into the 21st uh he certainly was a brilliant mind he wrote many different books and the content of what he wrote was profound. You know, he followed in the trail of St. Augustine. Uh, so there's a very Augustinian tone, which means there's a lot of reflection, a lot of seeking meaning and symbolic uh, statements. In other words, to read the Bible and then to see how God communicates on the many levels, the truth, the truth of what's said, what's implied. Um, 
you know, he had, there were a lot of Germans and French authors in the 20th century, and I think uh, Ratzinger, uh, Pope Benedict is on the top of that list uh, for those who produced writings uh, that really instruct us so well. And then as Pope, uh, he issued some uh, exhortations and encyclicals, which were very profound. He was the uh, general editor uh, of the Catechism of the Catholic Church under John Paul II. He also uh, prepared and edited many of the important documents of John Paul II. So I, I can say this, uh, he is arguably one of the most influential theologians of the 20th century, uh, and, and by virtue of that, of the entire history of the Church. Father Gerald Murray joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Father, we're, we're, we're Joe and I have decided we're not going to be try to be troublemakers, okay, and all this, even though there's a lot of trouble out there. But I would ask you this. Why is it that when you're trying to impose, instill, use whatever word you want, orthodoxy in the church, the church is supposed to be of one mind, which is the mind of Christ. That's not to say that we don't debate certain things, certain things in our prudential judgment. Of course, there are debates and talks and all that. And there are certain things that are not. Teachings of the church, the dogmas of the church, okay? They're not debatable. They're immutable, okay? No one in the church can change them. Why in your mind, because I saw this, okay, out there on social media, um, th that somehow Pope Benedict is in need of forgiveness for his actions as Pope and as Cardinal Ratzinger, as head of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, for basically insisting on orthodoxy and my my gut like i said father we're not trying to cause trouble here but in my gut my my reaction was well the nerve on you to, to, like how is that possibly a sin for the pope or in this case cardinal ratzinger before he was pope to to instill orthodoxy in the church where am i off father murray uh, you're not off. It's not a sin. In fact, it's a duty of the Pope to uphold the uh, deposit of the faith and then the doctrines, the dogmas that have been defined and believed uh, right from the beginning. And then in the course of Christian history, uh, many teachings are refined and then uh, proclaimed with solemnity. Uh, so you have dogmatic definitions precisely to overcome erroneous uh, teachings. And the sad part that we experience and that you refer to is that there's a whole movement now which is largely centered in Northern Europe, and in particular in Germany, the country where Pope Benedict came from, which is denying truths of the faith, usually in the realm of morality. Uh, has to do with homosexuality, with divorce and remarriage, uh, with the so-called transgender movement, the idea that someone can, by, by an act of his will, stop being a man and become a woman. Uh, these are all rejected by the church and sadly to say, uh, brought forth by bishops and even cardinals in Europe. Now, Pope Ratzinger uh, fought against this vigorously, and he wasn't popular with a number of the German bishops, but for the right reasons. You know, if you're popular with people making mistakes, you're kind of a party to their mistake. And no, he, he did what he was supposed to do. Uh, right now, Pope Francis is much more tolerant of this kind of thing going on. Pope Francis in many ways, is adopting the seminar room theory of how you run the church, which is like in a college course, the professor says, well, you go read Karl Marx, and then you have to argue for and against him. Everybody in the room has to kind of like defend or criticize. I don't think that's the way you should run the church, because in the Catholic Church, the teaching is not man's opinion, which can be justified. Rather, it's divine revelation, which enlightens. And the rejection of it usually produces or always produces doctrinal chaos, but they can also lead people into sin, and that's where we have a lot of problems today.
Thank you for that. Father Gerald Murray's joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach. We're discussing the passing of Pope Benedict the 16th, Joe Resinello. Let's talk the relationship between John Paul II and Benedict because they were different men. I mean, like I always found like that Benedict was almost like the guy in the background, I think he was more comfortable with that. Um, as as far as like John Paul was very outgoing. He, he, you know, Benedict was a quiet man. He was an academic. He tried to go home. John Paul wouldn't let him. You know, he was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. But he was just like, and out of duty to the church, he stayed because he was, you know, he was devoted to John, uh, the Pope and devoted to the church. But um, talk about that because I think they were different, but they were on the same page, but they were different men um i i think that's like something that we have to explore a little bit no absolutely they were different certainly one was polish john paul ii uh, came from poland uh and his country was victimized first by the germans the nazi army came in and crushed poland and then the communists did that uh pope benedict was german but he was not a nazi by the way people who like to make references to the fact that he was in the hitler youth movement and the german army he did both of those things as a teenager because he was forced to. In fact, he resisted joining the Hitler Youth when he was younger. But then the Germans changed the law and, and made everybody join. But he was not, He his father was an anti-Nazi. Uh, his father was a policeman. His career was kind of torpedoed as a result. Uh, he was anti-Nazi. And then, of course, East Germany was taken over by the communists. So he saw his own country victimized. Now, as regards, though, what they held in common, which was a great love for Jesus Christ, for the Catholic faith, for the church, and a desire to promote the mission of the church, which is to teach and sanctify the people of God. So teach the truth and help people to love God and love their neighbors, to come close to God through works of charity, sacramental practice, and prayer. What they both realized was that Second Vatican Council uh, was being misinterpreted and utilized by some people to justify a revolution in the church. Sad to say, that's what the German synodal way is doing now. I mentioned that earlier. The German bishop saying the church has to get with it. Uh, John Paul II and Benedict were men of the age, meaning they were very familiar with the thinking going on in Europe after the Second World War, but they were not creatures of the age. They didn't simply go along and say, well, I guess since so many people like these new ideas, we got to agree with them. They critiqued them, they engaged in discussion, and then they produced the Catholic response. That response is very welcomed by people who love the Catholic Church. And I have to say, I was very encouraged as a young man when Pope Benedict, uh, then Cardinal Ratzinger, came out with a book called The Ratzinger Report, 1985. I had just been ordained a priest in 1984. And in that book, Ratzinger, who was already working in Rome, answered a lot of questions. And one of them was about the Latin Mass, because many young seminarians were very upset they couldn't celebrate the Latin Mass. And he said, we ought to have openness. And we can't just say, well, the Latin Mass has to be suppressed. The old Mass is not good. It also extended to many other areas because, of course, after the council, a lot of people stopped praying. They stopped believing the importance of going to confession. Uh, they didn't really consider it necessary to study uh, doctrine. They just sort of make it up as we go. Ratzinger and Benedict and John Paul II both defended the faith and explained it so well. Let me ask you this, Father Murray, because Joe touched on um, Pope Benedict's humility. 
And I think we see that. I mean, it, you know, even when he was Pope, um, like, like he, he was some like boisterous guy getting in people's like very quiet guy and everything. And when I see that, I feel like people are treating him very unfairly. And what I mean by that is I, I it, just the way I would put it, Father Murray, I would say mm-hmm. the guy just couldn't win. Like you, you, you got you got the liberals that seemingly detest him, or at least the things he says. All right, and for the so-called conservatives, he's not conservative enough. And I read Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, when I when I was living in Brooklyn, this is a number of years ago, and I read it, and I I, I found it to be kind of like almost like the everyman guide to Catholicism, or you know, to to, to Jesus is like seemed to be just a regular guy speaking from his heart. Trying to, you know, do the right thing, say the right thing, lead in the right way, be a good shepherd. And the dude just couldn't win, it seems. Do you does you see that as a as kind of like where we're at in the church that who I Joe and I and you would consider to be a towering figure is many times vilified by both sides. Joe, I think that's the first time Benedict was called a dude. So I want to just mark that in the footnote. I love it. (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Well, he, if he's if he's a dude, then we're all dudes. You know. I, mean? <laughs> I love it. Uh, well, I'll put it this way: uh, criticism from Catholic liberals and leftists, in other words, people that favor the ordination of women to the priesthood, uh, to the acceptance of homosexual activity as good, to the blessing of homosexual unions. Of course, he's not going to be appreciated by them because he's an obstacle to getting their way. Um, and thank God he's there uh, because they need they need to be stopped. Catholicism, as Pope Benedict used to say, is the encounter with Jesus Christ. And in that encounter, we are the learners, not the teachers. Jesus is the one who teaches us. Anybody who thinks that Jesus Christ made mistakes and therefore got it wrong, such as only ordaining the apostles at the Last Supper, that person has a problem. Jesus does not. Uh, as regards right-wing criticism, I think that is exaggerated. For those who engage in that, they're making a big mistake. Uh, Pope Benedict was not a Thomist in the strict sense. Uh, he just certainly accepted the wisdom and value of Thomism, but he was more Augustinian. And that's a debate. Uh, people may not be too familiar with it, but you have people like Dietrich von Hildebrand was a, a Augustinian more than a Thomist, but he was completely orthodox in defending the faith. I would say the same with uh, Pope, Rat- Pope Benedict Ratzinger, um, there, there was a great figure in the traditional Catholic movement named Michael Davies, and he wrote a number of books critiquing the new mass and things that were going on. And when Pope Benedict became Pope, he wrote to his you know, viewers and writers, and people read him and said, no, we have to support Pope Benedict. We can't criticize him. And Pope Benedict, as we know, gave us Tradiciones Custodes, or excuse me, he gave us Samorum Pontificum, making an error there, but and Samorum Pontificum, fulfill what Michael Davies said, that Pope Benedict appreciates the value of the old mass, and he wants people to have the freedom to go to it, and he's not interested in forcing people to consider that they have no right to ask for what, you know, the church for thousands of, you know, a couple thousand years was doing. So, yeah, anybody's subject to criticism, but not all criticisms are, are accurate or uh, worthy of consideration. Yeah, I, I think that's that's very true uh, in regards to Pope Benedict. Joe Resinello. Father, I read something you wrote regarding his state after he left the pontificate in the emeritus-like stage of his life, that he had no canonical authority. Um, break that down for people, because there are comments out there. And do you think, because it was the first time I, I 
for a long time. I, I don't know the exact date that's uh, that a pope resigned. Uh, some people think it was a good thing. Um, they saw John Paul. Uh, he got very old. I actually was inspired by John Paul when he was very old. I thought it showed I, that's me, but I've heard other opinions. And listen, you're entitled to your opinion. Um, what's your thoughts on the resignation itself and the position itself, which has no authority? I think that needs clarity because some people I've heard him reference. He's the patriarch. He's this. No, he's not. Um, there is no authority there. That's correct. No, he I was very surprised. I remember um, I, I have a clock radio that wakes me up in the morning. So on the day he resigned, which was February 11, 2013, announced his resignation. I couldn't believe what the news reporter was saying. And then, indeed, that was the truth. I regretted that he resigned because I liked him as Pope, you know, and I, I knew he had a lot of problems. You can remember some of the scandals. There was his butler who stole his documents and gave them to a journalist. Uh, there were all kinds of bad things going on. There was all kinds of chicanery and things of that sort. Um, but I thought he was a good pope. Now, as regards what happens, there it is possible for a pope to resign. Now, that doesn't mean he's quitting the priesthood or the episcopate. It simply means he's leaving the office that he occupied. And the office that he was elected to was the successor of St. Peter, Bishop of Rome, and supreme authority in the church. Now, when he did that, he then decided to call himself Pope Emeritus, and I think that was a mistake because it kept the word Pope associated with him after he ceased to be Pope. Secondly, he decided that he would wear white, a white cassock, which in the Catholic Church is traditionally only worn by the Pope. And so he's wearing a papal vestment, calling himself Pope Emeritus. And people may, you know, he was giving minor details, but he was giving an apostolic blessing. And sometimes that's only done by the real pope. In other words, the pope in office, the retired pope shouldn't do this. We made a few mistakes in that regard. You know, there was a debate at the time when he resigned. What should he do? He went for one opinion. Did he have any authority? No. He had the, all he did, he was another bishop in the Catholic Church and had the authority that every bishop has as a successor of the apostles to teach. Uh, the Catholic faith to sanctify, but he wasn't in the position to govern uh, in the proper sense because he no longer had authority over either the, the diocese or the universal church. So some people said we have a, you know, pope, an active pope and a contemplative pope. And this, there were some suggestions that, you know, there was the Petrine ministry continued in his retired state. No, this is a mistake. Um, and it is unfortunate because there are people, and I've read this over the years, who think that his resignation was invalid. It was not invalid. Uh, he did exactly what you had to do. I'm a canon lawyer. He manifested his will freely and knowingly uh, to do something, and then it took effect as he said it would. In other words, he stated on February 11 he was going to resign, and then he actually did resign. I think it was on the 28th. So we have no basis to say that that uh, resignation was invalid. Father Gerald Murray, you know what I think, uh, and just just my opinion is, I could take the stance that I don't know. I, like, 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 let's say for argument's sake, I know there's a lot of voices out there that are, I think, you know, promoting this. Okay, and certainly Joe and I don't agree with it. But here's what I do, and I think this is a pretty good rule of thumb. Okay, and I'm not just saying this, Father, because you're on the show. You're a canon lawyer. You know about these things, okay? Again, I'm not just saying, you know, you're an authority uh, on these things, especially on canon law. And I look to those leaders who, let's say, for argument's sake, I think are very 
uh, clear-minded and they speak very clearly, like Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Sarah, and all these things. If everybody says Pope Francis is the Pope, guess what Joe Pastillo is going to believe? That Pope Francis is the Pope. That there is no resignation, or it, that it was a valid resignation of Pope Benedict XVI. I don't know why it's so hard for people to say. Now, if you, or, or Cardinal Burke, or, or let's say as a group of people, people who we trust, uh, started to say, you know, there's, there's some issues here we ought to look at, then I'm going to pause. And I'm going to wait to hear from you. But there's people out there right now that they're just they're, they're continually promoting this. And, and some of them have been on our show. We love them. We do. All right. Not when we're talking about this, though, <laughs> when we're talking about other other things. Um, how about submitting yourself to the rightful authorities in the church when it comes to these questions? Am I, I don't think that that's so far off at all, Father Murray. No, you're absolutely correct. And yeah, Pope Francis is, is the validly elected pope. And he has the authority uh, as a successor of Peter to govern the universal church. And uh, so that's that's what Catholics believe. And that's what we uh, submit to in loyalty to God, because God is the one who established the church, not us. Yeah, Father, thank you for that. Father Gerald Murray is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Um, and we're discussing Pope Benedict XVI, Joe Resinello. Father, history has a way of remembering things, um, good things. Uh, and I think sometimes when people pass, uh, they're remembered a lot of times in the positive light. And I think Benedict's works are going to be brought to light even more now that he has passed, particularly his stance on absolute truth and relativism. I mean, that was the famous uh, homily he gave right before uh, he became pope. Um, talk about that, because I've heard like comparisons between him and uh, St. Um, Athanasius of Alexandria. He basically confronted the Arian heresy, which a lot of people don't know. That went on for centuries, the Arian her heresy. People think like times are bad now. I mean, th that was like a long time that that went on. Talk about that, because I think that is a an incredible comparison. I mean, he's a historic figure from the fourth century, um, but in in a way, he did the same thing. He basically held his ground. He said two plus two is four, and it's always going to be four. Um, and frankly, there's a lot of uh, confusion right now. There's a lack of clarity. I always say to my wife, Father, Christ was always clear. He was always clear, and Catholics should be clear, and Benedict was clear. What are your thoughts on that comparison and also that famous, uh, you know, dictatorship of relativism, uh, relativism uh, homily? Yes, no, a couple of things there, Joe. You're absolutely right. St. Athanasius uh, was a great figure. He was exiled from the sea a couple of times. He was the Bishop of Alexandria, Egypt, on the Mediterranean. Uh, and he defended the divinity of Christ. He defended the truth of the faith. It was an expression they said, Athanasius contra mundum, which means Athanasius against the world. He had to fight heretics in the church, including among bishops, but he did it effectively. Uh, Pope Benedict, similarly, it didn't matter what the headline writers put down or the opinion polls showed, or even, you know, the congregation or bishops, you know, gathered together to tell him how to run the church. He would say, no, I'm going to do what's right. We're going to defend the doctrine of the faith. And he was the, as I mentioned earlier, the Catechism of the Catholic Church was uh, commissioned by John Paul II and produced under the guidance of Pope Benedict when he was Cardinal Ratzinger. That is an accurate misstatement of the truths of the faith for our time. And some people are unhappy about it. And we get criticisms of it. Again, it goes back to the moral teachings. 
Father James Martin SJ is a proponent of changing the catechism. Uh, he says it's cruel as, as regards homosexual attraction. Uh, Cardinal Marx in uh, Munich, Germany said the catechism is not set in stone, therefore impugning that it needs to be changed. Uh, no, the dictatorship of relativism, as you said, was one of the themes uh, that Benedict spoke against because it undermines the notion of truth in all realms. The idea that something that is true today and eternal truth could change and tomorrow become untrue, this is anathema to a believer because what it means is God's revelation is uncertain and God's revelation may be mistaken. And if that's the case, then where do we go? And Jesus told the apostles, he who hears you hears me. And he, you know, the Holy Spirit came down upon the apostles at Pentecost and gave them strength and inspiration uh, to go out and you know preach the gospel. But it was the same gospel being preached by all the apostles, not different gospels, each one. So, yeah, fighting heresy in the life of the church is a never-ending struggle uh, precisely because people are attracted by error. People like to believe things that are, are contradictory to the truth because somehow they think it's going to help them. And it's not the case. Uh, immorality cannot be justified. We had one bishop in Europe saying he was ashamed of the Catholic teaching that you cannot bless homosexual unions. And when the Holy See under Pope Francis reaffirmed that uh, a little under two years ago, he said, I'm ashamed of what the Holy See has done. Uh, I'm ashamed that that bishop is still a bishop because he's denying something that is essential. He's telling people, you should enter into immoral relationships and you should be blessed by God for it. Well, that's important. Immoral relationships remain immoral and therefore sinful. And you can't, God doesn't bless what he himself has condemned. So, no, the dictatorship of relativism, a big problem in our society. And he stood against it very firmly. You know, the, the, the incredible amount of pressure that let's just take our lifetimes. There's two, two instances where I think the popes held the line in the face of overwhelming pressure. First was Humanae Vitae, okay, because the Anglicans had already crumbled. The Protestants had already caved in on that. Everybody expected, including many Catholic bishops, that Pope Paul VI was going to. And aside from that, and where I'm going with this, Father Gerald Murray, is this, the document itself is not simply an anti-contraception document. It's prophetic. It, it's telling people, this is what's going to happen. Destruction of the family, higher divorce, the whole nine yards. With Pope Benedict XVI, and we only have a couple minutes left, I want to focus on the dictatorship part of what he said about the dictatorship of relativism. There's the relativism, which we could obviously fight against, and we fight, we stand with absolute truth, truth, all right? But the dictatorship is something that I think was prophetic, because nowadays, if you even suggest there is a truth, those who have the power in all areas of life, whether it's academia, whether it's the media, whether it's corporations, whether it's government, they impose this dictatorship on you. You will not use the word truth. You will, you will accept that there's multiple truths out there on the same topic. And my, my larger point, and I love your final comment, Pope Benedict was prophetic when he used the phrase dictatorship of relativism. It's not just wishy-washy. This means real power for those who seek to impose it on you, Father, about a minute left. Yeah, no, this is absolutely, it is a dictatorship, and it's a dictatorship that's masquerading as uh, compassion. I was a military chaplain for 11 years in the U.S. Navy, and I recently read a story where now military instruction manuals are instructing uh, service members not to be upset 
if, for instance, a woman is in a shower bay and then a so-called transgender woman who's really a man pretending to be a woman is showering nearby, they should not be upset and report somehow that this is a problem, that there's sexual harassment and, and possibility of uh, some sexual activity being initiated there. They should not complain about it because you have to respect so-called transgender people. Now, that's a dictator. You can't tell me that I have to suspend my reason uh, as a human being and then my religious convictions that it's wrong to be showering with someone uh, who I, with the opposite sex who I don't even know. Uh, this That's a dictatorship. That's going on right now. How do you respond to it? Calmly and with confidence say, look, I'm not going to crumble in front of your power. If you try to penalize me, I'm going to take you to court. I'm going to use my powers as an American. But in the end, even if you execute me, I'm going to affirm God's truth. Male and female, he made them. So that's just one of the examples I throw out there, Joe. Well, thank you for that. Father Murray, you know that we, we would love to talk to you for hours. You're busy, and we're on the radio, so we have to go. Um, and uh, 30 seconds, final thoughts that you might want to leave with our audience on Pope Benedict XVI. Well, we have been blessed with this pontificate precisely because God knows what we need. And he sent us Pope Benedict after Pope John Paul II to continue that mission. And now his witness continues to help us because when we do, you know, submit to the teachings of Pope Francis, whenever we have difficulties, we can consult what Pope Benedict wrote. And then if we think there are problems, and there are problems, uh, then we can voice them to Pope Francis with filial concern and say, Holy Father, what you're asking now uh, is something that I can't understand because I thought it was otherwise. And this particularly now in the realm of moral questions and the like, you know, Pope, Pope Francis had to say endorse civil unions for homosexuals. He said that the state should grant civil unions. Pope Benedict said the exact same op opposite thing uh, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger on the Jumpboat State. So, what do we do? We take the heritage, we believe that it's taught as true, and then we proclaim it and uh, try to influence others to follow. Father Gerald Murray, thanks a lot for coming on the show. We really appreciate your insights into Pope Benedict XVI. So, uh, yeah, and obviously, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. You're welcome back on this show anytime. Thanks again. Thank you. All right. And thank you all out there for joining us at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.